Hey everyone, welcome to Easter at Sanctuary Church. Uh, my name is Andrew. It is great to be with you, uh, sort of. Usually on Easter Sunday, our church gathers at the Columbus Theater or uh, Down City at 15 Hayes Street or over on the North End or newest congregation, Sanctuary Eastside. Shout out to all the Eastsiders. Uh, and then we're always... Um, we are always uh, together with so many other folks in the city who come on Easter, who, who for whatever reason, uh, maybe they were dragged there. Uh, maybe it's out of a just some tradition that they have in their family, or it's just a, a point in the year where they like to come and be encouraged. Uh, join us as well. And so we're just grateful to have you here. Uh, maybe someone sent you an invite or something popped up on your social media feed and you're just checking this out for the first time. It's just great to be with you. Uh, there are Hopefully no strangers amongst us right now. We called Sanctuary Sanctuary because we want um, this place, this space to be a safe one and a sacred one, one where you can explore your spirituality, one where you can truly journey. There's uh, a writer who says, people stumble into the way of Jesus in all sorts of different ways from all sorts of different places. And so whether you are full of doubt, um, you, are, you consider yourself a cynic in some way, or you are full of faith and just ready to celebrate, we want to just welcome you with open arms and, uh, and just invite you to, to, to trust that this truly can be a space where you can be open open to ideas about what it means to be human, open to new ideas about what love and life and beauty and truth might be. Um, so before I jump in, there's a prayer that we've been praying um, pretty regularly on these broadcasts, and we pray pretty regularly throughout the year. It's a really simple prayer, and it's a prayer of um, just openness, I guess. Expectancy, but more so openness. I think most people in our world uh, in our culture in this moment, value the idea of, of being openness, of being open-minded. And so we want to be open to truth and open to grace and uh, open uh, to maybe ideas that are, are new. And so the prayer is really simple, and I want to invite you, if you're comfortable, just to pray along with me. It goes like this. Lord, would you open our eyes that we might see you? Uh, open our ears or that we might hear uh, what is true and open our hearts that we may in some mysterious way um, encounter you, encounter that which is most true. And so I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. I'm sure um, all of you or most of you have had someone in your life that you identify with. Whenever Corey and I meet a new couple, uh, we always end up talking about like which spouse we identified with more. And if we get to know this couple really well, it usually turns into some hilarious back and forth of like, you know, teaming up with that particular spouse when it comes to sorting through marital problems or kids or things like that. I think it's funny when it's a celebrity. Um, people like identify with celebrities all of the time. Like a person that you've never met, you somehow become enamored with. I was literally just talking to a friend about like bands, about music. Like we just all of a sudden find ourselves like bonded to them in some way. Like, you know what? I'd be friends with that person. Um, J Justin Bieber like gets me. He understands me. Usually it's something to do with their story. It's like how they got famous. Maybe they've achieved this thing that you also want to achieve, achieve um, or you see yourself doing what they're doing. Um, I had someone I 
deeply identified with for a very, very long time. Uh, his name is Jim, and he is a fictional character on The Office. Um, years ago, I just had a horrible crush on someone that I happened to be working with, and there was this back and forth, and we would joke, and this person was also engaged, similar to the Jim and Pam saga. If you've never seen The Office, um, I don't know, I have no response to that. Um, so Jim, Jim's anguish and his paralysis. So it's these coworkers and this guy who just is madly in love with this woman who doesn't know that he's in love with her and she is about to be married to someone else. And it takes her, I think it's three seasons to end up falling, realizing that she actually does love Jim. And I just would, I would identify with Jim's anguish and I would identify with his quiet it felt like like a death that was happening every single episode. I was in it. it Jim was a real person. <laughs> Me and Jim were going to be boys. <laughs> it's, it's funny how when someone else's struggle mirrors yours in some way, like you become deeply bonded with them. This is the story of every emo kid ever. Like you bleed that band and then as long as they like mirror your high school heartache. <laughs> it's powerful when it's someone that you actually know and you meet someone and there's like an instantaneous, I don't know, like you just, you get me, you get me. Um, the person who's actually filming this right now, um, who's on the other side of this camera, um, is a great example of this. <laughs> After only like a few times of hanging out, I found myself like opening up to him about some pretty deep things that were happening in my own life and basically asking him for input. Like, I think when you identify with someone in a meaningful way, like you actually give that person some sort of authority to, to speak into your life. And so my question today is, if you can identify with a person's suffering and with a person's pain, can you also share in their healing? So the, the scripture we're going to go through today is 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1. Um, this was a letter written to a church in a city called Corinth. It's the second one, maybe. The writer Paul uh, is, is, uh, has started churches, started these outposts of healing and outposts of love, outposts of heaven. He's this brilliant rabbi who uh, converts. He's, he's a big deal, an intellectual. He's already got this sort of gravitas as far as we can tell. Uh, but in this letter, we, uh, we realize just from reading just slightly between the lines that his authority is being questioned by people. People are throwing shade at his leadership. And this is happening because there was a belief that if you were going through a whole lot of hardship, if, you were, if, if things were, were, were not going well for you in some way, then the gods must be angry with you or there's just something wrong with you. Paul has been in prison. He has struggled emotionally. He's getting kicked out of cities. He's shipwrecked. He's persecuted. N.T. Wright is a scholar once said, um, where Paul went, there were riots. Where I go, they serve tea, uh, which is a whole other sermon. So people are, are throwing all this shade at him saying, there must be something wrong with you and God must not be on your side. By the way, I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. <laughs> we never say things like those people deserve it or... What didn't they do? So this is our context. 
if you have a Bible, uh, or if you want to click the little Bible, if you're on our online platform next to you, you can read along with me. Second Corinthians, Paul writing to this church in Corinth, who's going through a whole lot, as he is going through a whole lot in this moment in history. And he writes this in verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's only for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. He goes on, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. So he's talking about what's going on, uh, which, by the way, we don't actually know all the details of. He says, we are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might rely, we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. The God of all comfort. Paul's in some sort of bind and Paul begins to speak about the strength that he is finding in his weakness. If we had time to read the whole letter, we would see that he begins to outline why his authority actually comes from his suffering. He says things like, my strength comes from weakness, that he can uh, comfort now in a way that he couldn't comfort before, that actually his authority or his connectedness to God or his connectedness to truth is based in his struggles not invalidated by them. He has a new power to, to what the word, he, he says over and over. He has a new power to do what? What's the word that's repeated over and over in those first couple of verses? That word comfort. That's the word that comes up again and again. So a quick word study, because those of you who've been following along the last couple of weeks know that I love a good word study. Uh, this word comfort in the Greek has a few pictures associated with it. So to call, here's the idea of comfort, is to call somebody to come near to you or to make a strong appeal or an exhortation or or to treat someone in an inviting or a friendly way. The whole idea of the word is that one person is going to be with another. Someone like speaking words uh, that would change their mood or change their situation Uh, One author talks about how this word basically is about giving somebody courage, like or new hope or a new direction or new insights, which is in some way going to alter the way that they face the next moment or face the next day or even face the rest of their life. And so when you put all these sort of definitions together, when you put all these definitions in a bottle and you start to, I don't know, like shake them up a little bit, you get this word comfort. In the middle of deep suffering, I think the best thing we can come up with to describe the effect is not consoling. 
Because consolation um, only picks up like one aspect of it. If you've ever like consoled a person, you're simply kind of bringing them back from some sort of despair into their, you know, back to their ordinary like unhappiness or something. (laughs) The word Paul uses here over and over again does more than that. It meets people where they are and brings them right on to the point where they are strong enough to see new hope or to see new possibilities or to see even a new way forward. The God of all comfort sounds nice in our current moment. Paul is identifying with Jesus's suffering on the cross and that in part brings him comfort. The Bible um, right here in this passage, Paul's basically giving us a little snapshot of Easter weekend that I think will actually speak to us a bit in this pandemic that we find ourselves in. Paul starts with the cross and Good Friday. Again, he writes about Christ's sufferings. He says, we share in Christ's sufferings. He identifies with Jesus. He identifies with the cross. His Lord and his King, his rabbi has endured betrayal and pain and anguish and uncertainty. And Paul is dealing with some of that in some way here. He, he writes, he is despairing of life itself. That's not a small thing if you've ever heard a friend say something like that. This is a writer in the scriptures writing to a church being really honest and real and open with his people, the people that he has been charged in some way with caring for. And he just says, guys, I'm going through it, despairing of life itself. I think on some base level right now, we're dealing with death all the time. Not, not just in the very obvious, very real, very literal ways that people are actually dying all around us but we're experiencing the death of a job and the death of our freedom. Even anxiety and depression or apathy or despondency, they're all a form of death. Paul can identify with the God of the universe because the God of the universe has identified with him, with humanity. The cross, one writer says, is basically just God screaming alongside us. The cross is God saying, me too. You may not know this, um, but Jesus uh, actually weeps when he loses his friend Lazarus. One of the most powerful verses for me in the entire Bible is just that Jesus wept. He sits with those that are mourning and he weeps. Most people I meet aren't questioning the existence of a higher power. Most people I meet aren't questioning the existence of the divine or of God. Most people I know who go to church, Christians in our community, in our family, leaders in our movement, that their doubts don't come in with like thinking God might not be there anymore. It's more just a questioning of like, what is God really like? The God who weeps? Is it really the God who, who came to serve, not be served? Is it really the God who's in it in some way with us? I think we often search the heavens for God, but God's actually at our feet. God washing the feet in Jesus of his disciples, of the very ones that are gonna doubt him and betray him and walk away. So Paul goes on. He says, indeed, we felt that we had received a death sentence, 
but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now we have got Easter going on. So in this little passage, we got a little Good Friday and we got a little Easter. He says, the God who raises the dead, he, he delivered us, he said, from such deadly peril and on him, we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul says, if we can identify with Jesus in the cross, we can identify with Jesus in the resurrection. That's the question, right? If we can identify with a person's suffering, if naturally we wanna identify with a person's pain and we can receive consolation from that, can we also share in their healing and in their restoration? Can we find hope there? I have this really good friend who in high school, um, she struggled with an eating disorder, struggled with depression, had a lot of really horrible things happen to her and the journey of her healing is just a beautiful story. And um, she's now in this place in our community where almost every time um, I hear a story of somebody who's struggling with, a, with food issues or struggling with eating or self-harm or depression, I just say, you gotta call this person. You gotta call them. And, and that's for two reasons. Because on the one hand, she has an authority because she can empathize, because they can identify with each other. They can share in each other's sufferings. They've both been through it. There's an authority almost immediately that the person who's hurting gives to my friend and says, yeah, you can speak into this. You get this where maybe some other friends don't. They identify with them, but it goes beyond just consoling. See, what they see in her, what they hear from her, what she models and any maybe advice or questions she can ask show that she's, she's actually gotten through this. See, see, God had brought her through this to a place of, of healing and of restoration because there's power in identifying with someone's restoration. It gives you hope that's rooted in something real, something that's just beyond, beyond chance. It's like hope with, um, it's like hope with a bass note. It's like hope with, with some data behind it. It's, it's hope with a firm foundation. From the very, very beginning, Christians believed that there was power in the resurrection. Easter held some power. If, if Jesus was somehow God in the flesh and Jesus was showing us what God is like, and Jesus is announcing that in the middle of the jacked up world of lies and pain and pandemics, that there's a new world breaking forth in the middle of this one where God is king, that we can be a part of, where we can join God and reconciling and renewing everything back to a place of peace, of shalom. And that reality somehow goes on forever. The resurrection was the beginning of all of that. The resurrection is what kickstarts this, this fresh and new and very real understanding of who God is, what he's like and what he's up to in the world. One writer in the Bible puts it like this. Jesus was the firstborn among the dead. It's a very Hebrew ancient way of saying he heaven has started. Heaven in some way has started. Another writer says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. It's wild, if it's true. Basically, Christians are bearing witness to this idea that when you say yes to what God has done for us, 
when you say, yes, I trust that I'm loved, that Jesus died for me, that I'm forgiven. Yes, I trust that death no longer has the last word. Yes, I trust that I can begin to live abundant life or heaven life, kingdom life here and now. And that goes on into eternity. When um, I say yes to identifying with Christ, we begin to experience the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And we begin to trust who God says that we are in him. Paul's saying we can find deep wells of comfort knowing that the God of the universe, or maybe language you use is the universe itself or the divine, that not only like can it console you, but it can comfort you. Not only does God understand God's been through it, that pain and the suffering of Christ on the cross becomes the very channel through which forgiveness and grace and love and healing come to the world that come to you. Modern psychology has given us real insight and brought so much help and understanding to people in need. But this little passage here goes as deep in its description of the problem and its solution as any modern theory. At the center of everything, everything that we go through are issues of life and death. To face death, a sentence of death, like Paul says, coming from his own heart is as low as a person can get. And to trust in the God who raises the dead the trust in the God who raises the dead with that faith anchored in the resurrection of Jesus himself, I would just humbly submit is the best therapy anyone could discover in the first century or the 21st century. See, followers of Jesus simply believe that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus tell a story that is much bigger than the tragedy and miracles surrounding one person. We believe that they point to this deeper reality this reality that you've been died for, that you've been pursued, that we can rest in the truth that we are loved, loved before we could do anything to earn it. It says in the scriptures, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like there's this reality where we are forgiven fully for all the ways we fall short of perfect goodness and love, where we no longer need to fear death, where the sting of death, Paul writes in another place, has been somehow removed because we know that this reality, this kingdom, he says this new humanity will go on beyond death, eternal life, some call it. The follower of Jesus believes this reality that this abundant life is your best life. It's what all of us, I think, are craving deep down in the depths of our soul. It's just a world made right. Find me a person who doesn't deep down crave for the world to be made right, to be put to rights. A former atheist, um, Oxford scholar, C.S. Lewis, once said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. A world marked by resurrection, by new life. Jesus said, I've come to give you this new life and life to the full. He says things like, come and see. Come and see what God is like. It says things like, come all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Rest now and 
what all those old spirituals would hum along about, glorious rest forever. He calls us friends. Stories about God being the one who runs up the road to the wayward rebel child. And then he, he turns to the cynic in that story and says, everything I've ever had is yours, all of it. It's all grace. It's all a gift. You can just say yes to it. You can just say yes to it. The world is full of loved and forgiven people. I would humbly submit that every person listening to this right now, watching this right now, is a loved and forgiven person. And you can choose to say yes to that. The gift has been purchased. You can take hold of the gift or not. Or you can say, like many people in our church, eh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I just would say you, you should consider following him. It's a bit of a ride. <laughs> the Bible says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, like, like just like he is God, he is king, he, um, like, and you believe, which is more of the word like trust. If you trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Because I think on some level, we all know we need saving. If you've been around church, um, you may have like seen these things called uh, like altar calls. And basically it's this idea of like, um, it's only in certain church traditions, but people would like raise their hand at a moment like this. And I would just like turn to you and just say, hey, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, if you want to just raise your hand or come forward to the altar. The, the background actually of the altar call is in the abolitionist movement where churches would invite folks to come forward and sign up to help set slaves free. They basically were saying, come free people and help others be free. If you want, you can you come and help others be free of death and, 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 and trust that you are loved. There's this little button on the bottom of the screen, at least if you're watching on the church platform right now. You can like click the little hand button on your screen. They literally, there's like a hand button there. Or you can just type like something in your feed. Like, just like, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm be interested in, and sorting this all out. I'd be interested even in saying, yes, like all of this, and not sure it all makes sense in my head right now, but there's something in my heart that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, if all of this is a, a little bit much even, like I wanna encourage you, stick around and keep watching. We're gonna show this 15 minute film after the broadcast. It's like a basic intro on the way of Jesus. Um, and uh, there's gonna be like an explore God page and it's just resources we put together for people who are, like me, you, like many in our church who are just trying to wrestle with what it might mean to walk the path of Jesus. I just didn't want to let this moment go by in talking about the God of comfort and what it is to trust in the power of the resurrection. I didn't want to let the moment go by because people like, um, I don't know, Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King Jr. or Obama or Chance the Rapper or Mother Teresa or Johnny Cash or Chris Pratt. I don't know how Chris Pratt made its way into that list, but... <laughs> Um, like these people that have, like I've heard all those people I've heard talk about a moment. Like there was a moment in their life when they, when they just said yes. It wasn't the moment when they had everything figured out or they all of a sudden felt like they had to adopt things that they weren't even sure about. It, it was just a moment where they just said, yes, I'm gonna trust that this is true about me. Trust the gospel, this good news announcement this thing that has happened, this death and resurrection of Jesus that shows us apparently what God is like and who we are 
in him. Maybe this is just your moment to say yes, to just raise your hand and say, I, 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 I might want to go on this journey. <laughs> For the church, I, I want to read this passage again as we kind of come to the end here. He begins with saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we receive from God. I got me thinking recently about doctors. I've been talking to a number of folks in the medical community recently, folks who are on the front line who are setting up right now hundreds of beds in the convention center and other places around the, the city and around the state getting ready for what feels like, what seems like the inevitable surge of people getting sick. Doctors who are working long hours. I was thinking about the compassion, the empathy we all feel. I've heard people say like, man, I just feel so bad for the medical community right now. And in a way, I, I, I completely agree and and we should continue to pray for them and support them. And we've got some really cool things coming down the pike in the next week or two of ways that we're gonna be able to just serve that community, I think, really, really well. But I had another thought, and that was simply this, that they signed up for this. They didn't sign up for a global pandemic, but they signed up to be healers. They signed up to be to be helpers, they signed up to, to be comforters. They, this was the oath they took. This is the job they have. I've had a number of conversations with folks who are having a hard time and struggling, but there is a resolve in their voice and a resolve and fire in their eyes. I say this to you, church, because if you're a part of sanctuary, you're a part of another community, maybe listening in, like, you signed up for this. This is what you signed up for, to be comforters, to follow Jesus into death, to lay down your life, to be Easter people in a very, very good Friday world, to raise life in a culture of death. And so I wanna encourage us as we begin to close our time might we see like God's faithfulness in the past so that we might have confidence in God's promises for the future to comfort you, to give you peace, to raise you to life, that you might abound in comfort for others, that you might have an abundance of comfort, to be able to share another suffering and participate in their healing. 